0: Hello and welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your host, Mango. And I'm your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk about different perspectives on how to play and run tabletop games. But before we get
1: into that, Buddy, why don't you tell the audience what this cast is about? Well, it's pretty simple, Mango. We like to talk about games. I think before we get into all of this crunchy, great Pathfinder goodness, though, uh, I just want to check in with you. How was your week, Mango's Thanksgiving? Yeah, to time to play some video games. <laughs> uh, not a lot because I was
0: busy eating turkey with you and Mark, <laughs> uh, guest of the show or guest on the show a while ago. Uh, we'll be a guest in the future as well. But yeah, what did I? Uh, I played some uh, Alawi, the new league champion. She's a lot of fun. Uh, I actually like her a lot. Um, I am getting used to the fact that she has. Zero to no escapes, unlike, say, Garen, who at least has his Q that lets him run away a little bit. Um, but he, she's still a lot of fun. Um, and I'm also enjoying the new uh, ADC changes. Uh, other than that, just more Fallout, because, of course, um, recently found my first uh, Goss ga- uh, rifle, which is, uh, which is neat. Um, I too really have found it. my first yeah. God's
1: rifle, and it has basically made the game unplayably easy. Oh so. man, I, I'm not I'm not <laughs>
0: quite there yet. Um, although I am, like I every once in a while. Oh, I found the railway rifle, which made me the happiest motherfucker in the oh, world. Oh, okay. Because I just I love that. I always love that gun. Just the choo choo. Just the, oh, it's so great. Um, but uh, on that kind of note, I'm playing on very hard, and I can you know I might scale up to survival. But I was playing on very hard, and I had a challenging encounter, so I might be at about the right thing, but most of the time it's way too easy. So I might pump it up to survival because, um, you know, as, as a as a player, I've, I've been kind of pushing the systems, which, of, of course, I'm sure you have too.
1: Yeah, the, the system I've, – I've been playing it very hard as well. The reason I don't go up to survival, though, is it really removes my ability to uh, – if I, if I pump to survival, I just sit – and snipe down every encounter from, you know, 200 yards, and never, you know what I mean? Like, now I give myself kind of the leeway to make mistakes. Uh, you know, sometimes when I'm just in a hurry and I don't give a shit, I'll just run in with, like, Kellogg's pistol or, like, Righteous Authority or something, and just, you know, pull up, pull up vats, shoot a bunch of dudes in the head, I'll take a bunch of damage, pop a few stim packs, whatever, kind of thing. Um, and I feel I, I'm afraid that if I pop up to survival, I'm going to lose the ability to just kind of not. Yeah, give that's a fuck. that's
0: fair. Um, so uh, one other thing, though, that I wanted to say before I, I toss it over to you for your week because I know you're eager to talk about I am some so stuff eager. that you've been doing is uh, I did go back and I played a little bit more of the demo for Indivisible, which is a uh, an indie. Or it's, it's by the guys who made Skullgirls. It's a uh, kind of like a JRPG. Um, I've heard uh, the comparison has been made to a Valkyrie profile. It's kind of like a real-time style JRPG with uh, different inputs for different commands. It's pretty cool. Um, and it's at 1.3 million of 1.5 million. It's got, at the time of recording, one uh, four days left. Um, so if we can hit that 1.5 um, on Indiegogo, uh, that would be great, because I, th- I think it's going to be an awesome game. I think I'm going to up my personal contribution later tonight because i really want to see this succeed and uh, the guys i have i've listened to uh the, the the guy mike z who's who's one of the heads of the project say that essentially they can't go back to working for other people so if this project fails they're gonna go do something else with their lives and i, I would hate to see that happen so if you like jrpgs go check out the demo i'll put a link in the in the description and uh give, the, give those guys some money because the game <laughs> looks awesome
1: in which Mango gets guilt tripped by the developer at a company. I'm guilt tripped, right? Like, like I, I, I,
0: I donated Just, to it, geez. and <laughs> if it doesn't succeed, I don't get to play the game. So
1: I want to play the game. I feel that. Uh, I beat StarCraft two. I haven't beaten the epilogue yet, but I have beat the the regular campaign. It's not quite as good as Wings of Liberty, uh, but it's better than Heart of the Swarm. And it's better than Heart of the Swarm for kind of a very specific reason. But I do want to give a little bit of a spoiler warning here uh, for people who are super, super, you know, like if you're a diehard fan, really, really into the game, feel free to just kind of pause it here. We'll we'll put a, a link to the time when I stop talking about StarCraft in uh, the comments, and uh, and you can fast forward to that spot. But if you're kind of mediocre on the game, and you're just like, oh, huh, like do I want to pick this up? Let me let me see if I can make a little bit of a case using a little bit of spoilers. Okay. Um, there's a couple of different ways that you upgrade your units. In Wings of Liberty, you integrate uh kind of Zerg biotechnology and Protoss, kind of like physics technology, into your units in order to kind of give them this upgrade tree, make them better, right? Um you also pay for upgrades with credits that you earn off of each individual mission. You know, you, you literally buy them. In um Heart of the Swarm, you upgrade in a couple of different UIs, these small evolutions. Which are little things, you know, that, uh, that are incidentally good, um, that make your units a little bit different. And then bigger, bigger evolution missions that really change the core of this unit from one thing into another thing or supplement it in some kind of way, right? In uh, Legacy of the Void, you align your units to a different faction. Right, And for people who don't know Starcraft lore all that well, there's a couple of different factions in the Protoss, right? Because you have, you know, the High Templar, um, the Kalai, you ha- which are, you know, the regular Templar. And then in Brood War, they introduced the Dark Templar, um, who have, you know, they've, they've severed their nerve cords and they refuse the Kala. And then they introduced two new factions, the Purifiers, um, a group of robots basically created by the Templar uh, and then eventually put into kind of stasis and lockdown because they didn't quite – they they treated these robots as slaves and they rose up on them. Haha, <laughs> who's ever heard about that happening ever before? And the fourth faction – this is kind of where the spoiler is – are the Tal'Darim, who are actually bad guys who you fight against in both Wings of Liberty and uh, – Heart of the Swarm. The Taldarim worship the Zelnaga as gods, and so um, they are, you know, being controlled by Amon, the big, 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 big bad of Legacy of the Void, right? This faction system is so great, Oh my god it's so beautiful because every mission you can customize whether you're using you know traditional dragoons um, the dark Templars stalkers or a new unit that's let you know that kind of fills that ranged mid ranged armored uh, warrior right. Um, depending on what... And so you can move and you, and shift between these. They bring back all of these old units. Uh, you can swap out Void Rays for Arbiters if you want to go back to playing StarCraft 1, or you can swap out Colossi for Reavers if you want to go back to playing StarCraft 1. It's so cool. i was so happy with that. But the best part of it is these characters who are the faction leaders are fucking amazing. <laughs> um, the most notable of this, and... Uh, He's the guy that I swear I'm just going to be on his dick for like the rest of the year. All right, I I we, I'm sure we'll do some kind of like awardsy episode, and he's gonna I'm going to talk about him in my in our awardsy episode. His name is Alarak, and he's the he's the leader of the Tal'Darim, and he's just please just go look up uh, like all of his quotes on YouTube. They're hilariously good because he's so biting and he's such a dick, but they're just so it, it, they're so well written. Like this is one of his quotes, right? One of the faction leaders say, you know, is, is telling the Taldarim all about what the Zerg did to Iron. And they say, the Zerg are our greatest opponents. Only a fool would underestimate them. And Alarak goes, then I shall defer to you as the fool. And I literally had to pause the game because I was laughing so hard at that line. You know, there's another one. where you know even these little things where you just kind of get into his philosophy and how he sees the world and where he says you know freedom is a delusion given to the weak by the strong and i was just like man that one sentence is better writing than like the entirety of you know preston garvey's character in fallout 4 um The faction leaders are really, really great, and they're really the the way that uh, Legacy of the Void becomes better than Heart of the Swarm for me because they are independent characters who serve a real purpose, right? To familiarize both the player with the different factions that they are leading, and as a reflecting point for Artanis, who is kind of nominally... The like the leader of the whole band, but he's actually the youngest and most experienced of them. And so you get to see Alarak, or you get to see you know Alarak or Vorazun, um, or you know the other faction leader who I I won't talk about, um, in, in part on Artanis, their worldview and how he might change how the Templar behave because of that. And it's so great because it just really it really kind of creates this whole theme of you know the unity. Uh, and overcoming these stupid cultural barriers that have been dividing the Protoss for so long. StarCraft II Legacy of the Void 100% gets my recommendation for anybody who is, you know, a big, big story guy, big character guy, big RTS guy, any of those things. That that campaign was so well done.
0: Well, that that, that sounds awesome. You might have actually sold me on that. I might have to check that out when I've got <laughs> some extra time at, at
1: home. Please, please do. Please do also because they added those co-op missions and I have nobody to play the co-op <laughs> missions with because uh, Zhao was on the East Coast, but now he's back, so I guess I could play with him. Anyway... you can play with Monic. Yeah, that's also true.
0: You know, I think, you know, be- just because I'm I'm going to be on the East Coast soon, I'm going to not have my desktop not be able to play Fallout. Um, I think I'm going to start playing Undertale, which has is- received a lot of critical acclaim. Um... And I'm I'm excited to kind of explore that. I know that the gaming press in general has been enamored with it. Our friend Barry is kind of enamored with it. I've only heard good things, um, and so I'm looking forward to having a controversial opinion about it. Um, <laughs> um, although I I do hope that it's good because you know I'd rather play I'd obviously rather play a good game than play a game that everybody thought was good that I didn't think was good. Um, but yeah, that that's that's for the future. Why don't we start to dig into Uh, some of this tabletop stuff. Um, I believe you kind of wanted to lead off with this thought about um, something that's very near and dear to my heart and yours, which is essentially, um, to kind of summarize the the idea behind it, there's this kind of thing that there are two types of people that play Dungeons & Dragons. There are theater kids... Um, And then there are Captain Crunches, Captain Crunch being a term invented by my esteemed co-host, Buddy Solah.
1: On this very podcast, I think you can hear me make that joke on, like, episode two or three, right? Um, I
0: I like it a lot. I like the, the term a lot. Um, but, yeah, why don't you just go into it? Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, so
1: it, I, I've been thinking about this term a lot, you know, these two terms a lot, um, in preparing for Hell's Rebels. Because, you know, I'm preparing for this game. It's a very RP-heavy game. You know, I, I, I we're probably going to do a more in-depth cast about kind of the behind the scenes of Hell Rebels eventually. But just as a teaser for that way, way, way in the future, um, one of the things that kind of bugs me a bit about the game is um, the first two books the third book has been much better about this it's very dungeon it's much more dungeon crawly than i expected right this was very much billed to me as the you know the super social the super rp heavy ap and there's all these you know and i i open it up and i'm just like what the fuck are all these dungeons doing in here kind of thing um and so uh i'm a tinkerer i love tinkering with my games and i've been really caught between my natural tendency to hardcore tinker um, and what I know are my players, um, kind of fervent, uh, adherence to, you know, rule sets, right? When I'm playing with, when, you know, when I first learned how to play the game, th- rule zero, the rule that the GM is God and he can change anything, right? You know, expect table variation is the way that Pathfinder Society puts it. It was very, very, it it was used all the time, right? Because, None of us were masters of the rules. None of us, you know, the PFSRD didn't exist. Pathfinder didn't exist. We were going off of the D&D 3.5 handbook and um, actually just the Monster Manual. We didn't even have the Dungeon Master's Guide. So we were making up all of this stuff on the fly. And so for a lot of my friends, that kind of, you know... The gears are working behind the scenes. Just trust us. You're in it for the story and the experience. Don't worry so much about the numbers of the die. Is something that I have very deeply instilled from, you know, my high school days of playing. But when I, you know, hit college and I founded HPPG with my esteemed colleagues, uh, including some other people that you may have heard us mention on this cast, um... The it was very apparent that that kind of player who was very liberal with the rules who changed rules kind of on the fly, uh, in order to facilitate the the you know the mechanics of the story. Uh, that wasn't something that worked as well, and so now I'm kind of I'm kind of torn between it because I know that I have a bunch of Captain Crunch players um, who are super into the rules, who definitely want to know all of the numbers and why they exist and where they come from. Right? How you know how many hit dice and why does he have that much HP for that hit dice? Right. Um, whether or not his constitution modifier is X or Y, because I want to make sure that I should use my, my reflex or my fortitude save spell against this kind of thing, right? Like all of these different things, these are what Captain Crunch's, uh, really focus on. And, um, you know, the theater kids, the people who are in it for the story, who are in it for the characters because they love to improvise because they want to be, you know, this, this reactive protagonist who gets kind of, uh... You know, he gets all of this information from the GM and he decides to make a certain subset of decisions because he's role playing. Uh, These are these are these are people that don't necessarily, you know, think as hard about that kind of stuff. Right. And if I'm changing rules in, you know, behind the scenes in order to make situations more dramatic, in order to pump up, uh, you know, bad guys or, you know, make something really pop in a way that's something that a theater kid loves theoretically so those are so those are kind of the genesis of how i think about you know these two distinctions um mango because you were one of the first players to experience uh the shifting tides of my my gming style have i have i explained the difference adequately um i think i think you've done uh, a
0: fair job um I think there's, there, there's high praise. High praise. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think, I think you've, um, as I, I, feel like someone who comes at it kind of from more of a, 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 a theater kid desire, if not always a theater kid, kind of practice person. I think you kind of, um, you know, miss part. I, 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 I think, I think you're you you make it sound like Captain Crunch Kids do it just for the numbers because the numbers are the only things they want to do. And for some people, that's certainly, certainly true. Um, and that's definitely a part of it. But I think there's also kind of like um, a, a kind of aspect of the fantasy, which is, you know, can I make my character as, as you know, as good as it can be type of deal, right? Like that, that kind of, you know, desire to be not just a swordsman, but an exceptional swordsman type of deal an exceptional swordsman that you did with like, so uh, I think this kind of goes back to, to my, my favorite thing, the, the, the sacred contract um, of, of the rules, which is essentially the, um, it's about the fact that, you know, if I'm doing, if I'm being an exceptional swordsman within the bounds of the rules, that's something that I can be happy that I accomplished. Rather than something that I just get told as kind of a story point, like I feel like I have control over that situation, um, which I think kind of leads into there's there's a very specific story that kind of is the genesis of this talk, which is at the very beginning of uh, of of Buddy's transition where I was one of his players, um, and I I think I'm going to relate this story because I, I think it kind of gets this 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 my my point across well, which is. Um, we were fighting we were ha- at a, a big boss level encounter kind of at the end um, and I'm playing uh, a 3 five um, wizard at the time and I don't have a lot of spells at that this point. I think I'm level five so I think I have like one level three spell um, and but it's we're against the boss so I'm like okay this is where I have to blow it. I need to shoot my lightning bolt at the boss. Because that's that's the right thing to do. Like that's that's what I do. I'm a caster. I nuke the I nuke the boss, and so I, I get myself set up. I line myself up, and I shoot this lightning bolt at this boss. And uh, I roll. I'm like, all right. I, I I've done this thing. This is great. I'm gonna crap all over this boss. And buddy, my dear GM looks at me and says, <laughs> and he and, and he says. Uh, the boss catches your lightning bolt with his rapier and, uh, and deflects it. And, um, at the time, I, 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 would like to say to my credit, I did not complain. I just kind of held resentment in my heart for years. Um, <laughs> for years and years. <laughs> um, but it's kind of deflated, right? Like, you know, what, what, like you say, like, you know, changing things behind the scene to make the scene pop, to make the story more dramatic. And what I was... Uh, upset about essentially is that my agency had been stripped from me. Essentially, my my ability to control the situation, my ability to contribute, had been pulled away. Especially kind of in in this particular case where I'm blowing my biggest daily resource on this big fight, only for it to amount to nothing. Not because of any particular rules contrivance, which makes you know it feels better, right? Like, um, you know, if if you know if you had said and you know he he has evasion or something. Um, you know, I probably would have been like, well, that sucks, but okay. Right? Like, that's that's the, that's the price you pay. But it was kind of like very, very much like a, just kind of like a story hand wave. And that, that's, that's kind of, that, that kind of pulls away what I think a lot of Captain Crunch kids want to get out of the game, which is essentially the sense of agency and the sense of control over this game world, and this ability to be something great rather than just kind of being a character in a story that someone else is
1: telling. Sure, but that's also kind of a trust thing, right? Like you have to sure. trust me that I'm gonna like I'm gonna I'm gonna get you there, right? This, this comes from I mean this this very much comes from where I was playing um, in high school all the time, right? And like I said, my friends and I didn't have a complete mastery of the rules. We didn't even own the DMG. We played most actually most we played a little bit of D and D three five, but most of what we played was the Star Wars D and D or the Star Wars D twenty system, um, and we you know. All of us would do this kind of shit all the time um, where the rules wouldn't quite work, but it made sense. And it it was the same kind of thing where, like, sometimes we would cheat for the bad guy, right? Um, And sometimes we would cheat for, you know, like, the good guy. Like, the the most famous example of this is – and please remember, we were teenagers playing playing Star Wars. It wasn't the smartest thing. Uh, Anyway – Uh, the, the, the genesis of this story was that a droid was pretending to be a Sith Lord and he had activated all of these, all of like the, like the Confederate, uh, not the Confederate, uh, oh wait, it is the Confederate, right? The Confederate droid army from the prequel trilogy and he had activated them several, you know, several decades after the end of Return of the Jedi and he was using them to besiege Coruscant, Right. We were trying to go get some, you know, MacGuffin at the top of some super high Coruscant building. And we were racing against time and the building was collapsing all around us. And we opened the elevator to go back down to the bottom. And there is the big, big bad, this droid Sith Lord. And now we're all sitting there like, oh, God, we're going to have a fucking big ass boss fight while this whole thing is coming down. We're super fucked. But a friend of mine was just like, yo, dude, why don't you just cut the cables? And we're all just like, wait, what? Wait, what do, you, what do you mean cut the cable? cables? Like, well, he's sitting in this elevator, right? And, like, we rolled the initiative. Why don't you just go over there, cut the cables? He falls, you know, a million stories to his death. And so that's exactly what we did. You know, I, I was a Jedi. I pulled out my lightsaber. I cut the cables, even though it was technically a repulsor pad. And, uh, you know, and he fell to the bottom of this tower and died. Technically speaking, right? That's not re- that's not really a raw thing. That's not really a raw interaction that happened. But for the story, it just felt so good, right? Like, what a great way to think about, like you know, uh, to think around this problem, right? And there was this huge, you know, he comes out of nowhere, and you immediately dispatch of him just by thinking on your feet and and, and improvising. And I think that's that's what you know, theater kids are looking for. That moment, the rules of that moment don't really matter, right? and in the same sense the buddy who was GM in your game the rules of the lightning bolt didn't matter all that much because he had to establish that he was the boss he had to establish that he was a big motherfucking badass right and so that's why you know that's why i made the decision i did obviously i was misreading the crowd right but i think that, you know there's something to that right there's a there's a, there's a there's a, a nugget of truth in there that i will defend
0: sure um and, and i think that there there's kind of a, a difference there to that that I, I think is worth exploring. Like you know, there's a difference between when a player comes up with something that isn't really covered by the rules, and you kind of have to go at it with kind of your your improvised knowledge. And then when you take something that is clearly governed by the rules, and then throw that out the window to kind of fit the narrative you want to tell.
1: It's it's covered by the rules. There's hardness, right? There's you know, there's all that shit. Sure,
0: but like the the position, like what that hardness would be, the positioning, like it, you know. Can I go cut the cables, right? Like, that's a a question that only the GM can really answer, right? Like, is there enough of an angle? That that kind of thing.
1: Right, and if we were raw, I probably wouldn't have been able to, right? But it didn't matter. And I don't know if that's... So, I don't don't know if that's necessarily true, right?
0: Like, you're... Like, you would have had to have probably rolled a hard check for it, but, like, that's not, like... That's not something, you know, that... You looked at that and you said well, there's a rule that applies here, but I'm going to ignore it, right? Like that's something where you said, well, the rule here is kind of wonky and either takes up too much time to look up or I just don't know what it would be so I have to make something up versus something with this lightning bolt, which is I have a rule, it's right in front of me and I'm willfully going to ignore it because it makes for a more dramatic scene.
1: Uh, You know, I I, I will certainly agree that one is more tactful than the other, but they are both clear instances of the rules being ignored, right? Uh, See, I – like, I don't know. I, I think whether, – Whether or not we knew mm. the rules at the time and whether – and I understand, sure. yeah, it is way more obvious. It is way more obvious the rules that govern spell combat, obviously, in D&D 3.5 than the rules that govern the hardness of, you know, an elevator in a mid-level skyscraper in Coruscant, right? One of those is much more arcane than the other. But fundamentally speaking, these are both disregarding the rules in order for, you know, a, so, something for some narrative purpose to happen, See, I,
0: I don't,
1: I don't, I don't really think that first one was
0: disregarding the rules that much, right? Like, what, what, what? If you had gone and looked it up, it would have been like a hardness check versus a lightsaber, which I'm sure can fucking cut through whatever, because that's the thing that lightsabers do, right? Like, that's that. That doesn't feel like a big offense to me. Whereas, man deflects lightning, or goblin deflects lightning bolt with a rapier is not something that a goblin can do. Um, in whether the whether case. or
1: not whether or not it's a. Um... I mean, he can do it. He just needs to have – he needs to make his reflex shit and have evasion. right? Sure. Um, but uh, I, I, I get what you're getting at, right? Degrees, and I'm 100% with okay, you fair, that the lightning enough. bolt is like the the more egregious kind of break. I just think fundamentally they're both break. You know what I mean? They're, they're comparable in the sense that at the end of the day sure. they're both breaking. And one of them is on one side and one of them is on the other side. Anyway.
0: I, I, so so before we get too or beyond that, I think something else I wanted to point out too, which is – which is kind of kind of a sad reality too um, of this is that one of these is a player doing something and one of these is taken against the player, which is, you know, it, it might not sound fair, but it but it's it's kind of like it it feels in at least in my gut. I don't know if I can kind of write this down down to numbers. Is that like when a player wants to do something neat, I tend to err on letting them try um, if it's reasonable. Whereas, if it's taking something away from the player, that kind
1: of feels shitty. So, wait, 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 wait. I'm actually of the opinion that they're both... I, 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 it, it's all dependent on context, right? I think sometimes it's important to, you know, quote-unquote, fuck over your players a little bit in order to... Uh, You know, in order to heighten the stakes, right? In order to make them feel, you know, the kind of the danger of the situation. In fact, I think if there's any kind of criticism that I would, um, you know, like hit a Captain Crunch kind of player or Captain Crunch kind of DM with, it's that, yeah, you know when when you're just g- going by raw when you're just going hardcore by the rules you get these really kind of interesting you know Rube, Rube Goldberg machines where all of these systems kind of collide in a certain subset of ways that's really just kind of hilarious and interesting but i think depending on that kind of randomness at its core in order to make that happen is just it's it's not great storytelling right you have to have a a firmer hand than that and sometimes that that means you know yeah you're going to screw over your players a little bit for this narrative effect right so so i i think i think the
0: difference here is not like you know it's not wrong to put your players into a challenging situation and i don't think it would have been wrong for your gm at the time to have said it's a repulsor lift that won't work but i think it's Worse to take something away from a player arbitrarily than it is to give something to a player arbitrarily. It's if not but
1: sense. see, I, I guess my perspective is it wouldn't be arbitrarily. If it's for the story, it's not arbitrary. It's for it's for a narrative purpose, right? And that's important. I mean, that's important to me at the very least. Um, and whether or not it's I'm letting a player do this thing arbitrarily because I want them to feel like a huge badass, and that's a super clever idea versus, I want to negate this thing the player is doing because I want them to feel the the high stakes of this encounter and this of and this situation. I think those are both valid. Those those aren't arbitrary decisions. Um I I think when you remove a player's
0: agency just to make a story point, I like if a player can show you raw why his plan should succeed and you take that away from him, I think that's I. I don't think that's that's good. I think that that kind of, that that breaks the sacred contract essentially.
1: <laughs> like I mean, it, well.
0: you, you know, like the 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 rules are what like ensures that we're doing something besides playing a magical game of Calvin ball in our heads, and like if you if you are willing to throw away those 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 rules, like whole whole hock, then. What what are you doing? Why, well, why that's you, not, that's why not are we what I'm colored? suggesting.
1: It's a it's a one specific. I mean, if you think about all of the rules that are followed versus all of the rules that are broken, right? You know, hypothetically speaking, we're like we're at percentages of less than one percent that the rules are being broken. Right? It's just a a particularly flashy example of. The rules being broken. And I think that that's worth it. Right. I I, this is what this cast is all about. Right. Having two competing perspectives on on this whole thing. And I definitely think that it's worth it sometimes in order to break that sacred contract to really hammer something home. Obviously, you're not going to break it on every auto attack that this guy is going to put on a goblin because that's just dumb. Right. But it's it's a tool that's in a GM's toolbox, and it's kind of criminal not to use it. And I think the oh, work, you know, with
0: that entirely. I think using it is like a last resort. I think if you use it, you've admitted defeat that you can't actually, you can't do this the right way. But you know that that's the right my way. Be, okay,
1: this is an interesting kind of segue. The right way being using the rules. Yes. right? it would have been the right way for me to say this guy has evasion and he hits a reflex save, right? Um. It would have been the right way for you to have set up that
0: character to have evasion. um, And, you know, I guess to me as a player, it would have kind of been invisible if he randomly had evasion. But, like, part of, part of that for me, at least when I'm GMing, is that if I can be honest with myself and say I did this within, the, like, you know, I don't change creature stat blocks mid-fight. Unless I've, unless I've messed up, unless I've made the fight way too easy or way too hard. Um, I always set that up way ahead of time. Um, and that, that's kind of important to me as, as a GM to, to have essentially, at least, you know, I can say to myself, everything I did in this fight was fair. And if my players died, it's not because I made some arbitrary decision. It's because they couldn't defeat the monster type of deal.
1: That's an interesting perspective. I think that fairness is uh, – well, it's kind of important to a certain extent. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I will throw anything under the bus to tell a good story, man. <laughs> like, you know I, – and I, I, I do this – Less often now that I have a good mastery of the rules and that, you know, because I'm I'm dealing with a different subset of players, obviously. Um, but yeah, you know, I used to not actually stat out monsters. I would just keep the fight going and I would do the numbers such that, you know, um, when the fight was dragging, it ended. But when it needed to be hot, you know. But like when it when it started, when there was big in tactics, right? It it was it was big in tactics, and I thought, and I do still, I I do still agree with this, and I do this with other people who are not you guys. Um, I will build the fight to try and keep you know the the tension of the fight at its highest that it that it possibly can be, right? And basically. Anything under the hood that I can that I can fuck around with in order to make that happen, it's fair game. I don't mind doing that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess that's 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 a difference in style.
0: I, I, I think. Know, like, well, I also
1: think a big thing is, uh, you know, uh, really what I'm referencing is, you know, I was running a four E game for a lot of my friends um, who very much fit that theater kid. Five recently and that was exactly how i did it right like it was really important to me that the the game itself was uh paced up you know it was paced appropriately and it was told the right way and people were engaged by the story rather than being you know kind of engaged by uh the mechanics and i really had i, I had a leg up because none of my players really cared enough about my side of the rules that it mattered all that much you know what i mean like Something something that happens pretty commonly in our Pathfinder games is somebody can say a monster, right? And I just know, you know it's a common monster. I just know what its stat block looks like in my head. You know, even if I can't name specific numbers, you know, like sure, yeah, I know that an ooze, you know, when 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 a, a, we go up against this ooze in Iron God, it's going to split a bunch of times, right? I remember that in my head. And so I know the rules and I know when I'm when I'm being fucked with by the DM because I know so much about what's going on the DM side. And I think that that's a big aspect to being, you know, to being a Captain Crunch, to being a Captain Crunch player. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Oh,
0: no, I no, know. I think this is something where we're, where we're just never going to see eye to eye on it. Because um, you are in... Uh, I, I hesitate to say this. I don't mean it pejoratively. But you you are kind of like a converted theater kid. Whereas I was... Born in the crunch, uh, I I was born in the crunch and molded by it. You simply adopted the crunch, um, <laughs> um, just be, because like it's, you know, uh, like you your your experience is is obviously also very different than mine, right? Like you started playing in high school with your friends. Um, what I did was is I checked the D and D books out of the library, obsessively read them, had no one to play with, and played Neverwinter Nights a bunch. Oh my god!
1: <laughs> so all of all of my pre essentially all of my pre in, in which Mango called, just adds a little check to his like nerd cran, right? I mean, like <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I did, right? Like it's not nerd.
0: Like my library had copies of of the all the AD and D books, and like I always I always thought it was so cool. And I, you know, I, I read all of it and I never had anybody to play with, so it was just me imagining what I would do if I ever could play. <laughs> um, and it was all about rules, because I, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't, you know, I always imagined myself as a player and then the next, next thing game, along which was Neverwinter Nights, which kind of gave me the ability to play D&D versus a computer, like on a computer, which is, you know, video games are, are very crunchy. I, I, you know, the the Captain Crunch um, being kind of, I think the genesis of a lot of Captain Crunch player are video gamers who want something a little bit different. Um and so that's you know, that that that's my genesis and, and your genesis is is in a much more fluffy place. So I think that that's fluffy in, in the story sense, not in the not in a pejorative sense in any way.
1: Well, I, I, I think I think the difference between, you know, tabletop and video games is, is an important one. Um I I can't remember for the life of me where I heard this paraphrased quote, but something that was kind of definitionally said was, um, you know, tabletop games are governed by laws, and uh, video games are governed by rules, right? Laws, there's an expectation of, you know commitment right but there's also procedure for them being broken right like breaking the breaking the laws is a thing whereas a rule is just something that is followed right i I may be fucking up the terms it could have been rule law flat but like the idea which you know you literally cannot lawyers no 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 but my important
0: thing in a game (laughs) My,
1: (laughs) my point is that you know um there are in in a video game you literally can't have the bad guy deflect that lightning bolt. Sure, it's just it's impossible, right? Because it must happen uh, in this certain way, and uh, and the flexibility that comes with being you know in tabletop is I can just break whatever rule I want at any you know time because I am the GM and I am god uh, you know functionally um the other half of that analogy by the way is that laws are support there's some like weird democracy to this like the o- the power of the law comes from the people your laws only have power so long as your players in this case believe in them kind of thing um so there's kind of like more in this analogy than i was really prepared to tackle but sacred i think that, that's a
0: con- that sounds like the sacred contract to me buddy right so, i'm just pointing yeah, out the difference yeah, no, between
1: no. video games and you know tabletop sure. tabletop um, games I also would like to point out, and I think I've done a pretty successful job at this, uh, at at curbing my natural some of my my theater kid tendencies in the face of Captain Crunchy P. I I I actually think my theater tendencies are seen in the games that we play. Um, you know, the, it's one of those things where um, I don't really mind going. You know, like I don't mind going yeah. down in a fight. I don't mind dying as much because uh that yeah i I don't know I, i i'm almost used to that right it doesn't bug me on the same way that i've seen it bug other players sure but i see i don't mind going down in a fight
0: if i think it's was a fair thing like if i think that the GM just arbitrarily decided i was going down in the fight i will not be happy if you know i went down in the fight because i went in balls deep as the wizard then yeah i'm i'm okay with that or like you know or because like the the rogue got the sneak on got the jump on me as the wizard right like that's that's the way it goes sometimes and and I'm I'm okay with that right if i rolled a 47 perception and the rogue got the jump on me i might be a little bit aggravated but you know if if i didn't or if the gm made that roll for me which is something that you know as as much as i will as as i personally will uh will always adhere to the draw or dice rolls i do recognize that as as a tool in a toolbox um, that I won't. That I won't care as much. But I also think this kind of rolls into another point I wanted to make, which is 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 very kind of uh, related, I think, to this. Which is, um, you were talking about the difference between tabletops and video games, and I think, um, especially in, in this system, in, or rather in the Pathfinder system and in the D and D system, that um, there's a lot of flexibility that's built into a lot of the other systems, right? Like, be- 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 because essentially combat is so well defined in its box, um, It's I think it's harder to to convincingly break those rules without... It's, it's, it's harder to bend those laws without essentially having your players riot um, or at least feel bad type of deal um, than it is for
1: something like like, so this, this is actually... I would just like to point out, by the way, that there are plenty of players, myself included, who don't feel bad about those kinds of changes even if they see them, right? What do you mean? I think that the natural inclination of theater kids is not to mind if the story is good. Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: um, I, I see that. I, I mean, I. I... I... I get your point.
1: I, I really, my point is, I don't think that there's a guarantee that if you break the rules, players are going to riot. Right? That's something uh, that certain types of players do, certainly, and I think it's something you'd run the risk of, and you, in, 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 in a, in a GM should be cognizant of. Sure, but it, there's no guarantee in my mind that that is going to take place. Uh, you know, anytime somebody bends a, or breaks a rule of combat, bending. Be, so there, there, there's also like a, a level of,
0: of egregiousness to it, right? Like we, we've talked about this. But, like, I, I think something like, I think this is kind of what what struck me bef- before about your example of cutting the cables versus deflecting the lightning bolt, right? Cutting the cables is, is kind of a tertiary thing that kind of falls a little bit outside of that combat system um, in, in, in a couple of ways, right? Like, it's, it's modeling, cutting inanimate objects, which there are rules for doing that in, in combat, but it's not like it's like a prime... It's not like your character is going to be, I cut the cables every single combat you get into, right? Like, your character's usually going to be swinging the lights in. What,
1: One of your characters might do that. <laughs> sure, but anyway, that's because... shots. No, punch I mean, that, that, that's
0: fair, but I build my characters to be... Uh, I, I build my characters to be different like that, right? Like, to kind of capture those rule systems and kind of force attention on them, which is, you know, a different... That, that, that's, I think, a, a whole another discussion for uh, uh, another time. Um, but essentially, what's 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 the best way for me to put this? Essentially, a system that is constantly in the spotlight, like say combat, like a, a system that's constantly being used and constantly being looked at by by the players and by the GM. It's more likely that you'll notice when something's changed about it, right? Like when when you know when the the color of of that cube has changed or when someone's taken a nick out of it so that it deflects lightning bolts type of deal um just just to to be very uh sledgehammer with my analogy um whereas something like rules for breaking things or like you know targeting a, a very small object or like f- screwing with the structural properties of any particular building those things don't come up as often, generally, and because that's the case, I think they're more. They're, I think they're easier to fudge without, kind of, without it without it feeling like it, it has as much or where it feels like it's being like. Hmm, I, I don't know what the best way to put this. Well, is. I think
1: so. I, I get what you're getting at, right? And I think um, you know, I definitely think that there are degrees, right? I think on the one side, I've obviously explained a situation that I find that was that was totally fine right cutting the cables doesn't make sense raw it makes sense because story makes it make sense you know that's a that's an example of a good version of this and you know the lightning bolt thing is an example of the bad version of this right um but i don't think you know like where where the line is in in between those two kind of hypothetical extremes as to what's passable and what's not is exactly this calibration that we're talking about and somewhere you know if that line's at 75% well maybe we're we're talking with a bunch of you know theater kids who are more than willing to accept this kind of crap right but if the if the line's at 25% it's you know th- this is where we're getting into captain crunch territory um, I think that I think that it's important to do it in combat. I think combat is a really you know it's a big part of the game. It's really dramatic. It's where a lot of you know big heavy uh, uh, kind of reversals and plot points come about. And so you know to kind of ignore combat and say, oh well, combat's such a giant system that I don't want to fuck with it. It's like I you know I I think that that's kind of a needless cutoff, right? Th- something like having a critical hit happen when it's not supposed to is a good tool in a toolbox, right? To put it in as a moderate example in the, in between those, you know, those extremes somewhere.
0: Yeah. See, I, 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 I absolutely don't agree with that. I think that um, just randomly inserting extra things there just makes the game not makes, makes the game not fair, right? Like it just makes the game arbitrary and I might as well be coloring in a coloring book. Um, but- I mean,
1: I, I this is this is kind of this is an interesting concept because I find it kind of so so it's it's like kind of an all or nothing thing, right? Is what that sounds like. What do you mean? Like it sounds like if I you know if I give an enemy a crit, right? To heighten the tension, to put somebody you know what I mean to like put somebody in the single digits, right? Maybe bring you know like bring somebody under so that there's you know more tension or whatever that that's that's unfair technically right i am literally changing the system right but in uh in my view it's one you know it's one rule that's being changed out of dozens and dozens that are being used constantly um and it's being changed for a purpose right that purpose is to you know raise stakes make tension drama all of these things that are good important story things right that make the game a better story um yeah see but any but so any any one of those rules fractions, right? one bending of a rule in order to give an enemy a crit that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten, that invalidates the entire system, and we might as well be coloring and coloring books. I, I,
0: it, yeah, I mean it's to, to a certain extent, yeah, like I, I feel like that if I have to break the rules mid combat to make the the combat have the the appropriate amount of tension. That's just me failing to design the encounter
1: properly. That's not like... Right, but the encounter... I mean, the encounter is based so so much on RNG that you can do all the designing that you want, right? There's no way that you're going to be able to dictate how the dice roll come out so that you're creating the kind of melodrama that you want, right? The kind of story that you want. My my, my response is always going to be like, that's the way
0: it goes sometimes. You know, sometimes the players slam dunk on the boss. Sometimes the boss slam dunks on the players. And while that might be up... up to RNG that's ultimately the like the driving system bo- or the, the the driving mechanic behind the system.
1: See man, oh, oh okay. This is uh, we're, we're, let's everybody let's put our thespian hats on. All right. Let's go get a, let's go get some Shakespeare, okay? <laughs> because man, I'm going to put on a theater kid. Okay. Uh, I think those encounters suck. I fucking hate them. Like it's a huge pet peeve of mine, and it's one of those things that I, you know, I kind of accept it, right? And in certain contexts, it's fine, right? I, for instance, I don't mind it in, in in Iron Gods, right? The the game that's GM by our friend Nick. He's a very you know raw guy, and we are very crunchy players in that game, and it's kind of okay, you know. That, that's okay. I don't mind because that that game to me is is much 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 more about the mechanics than it ever was about the story, right? But this, uh, you know, man. Oh, it would bug me to all fucking get out if, you know, we got to the final boss in a campaign and the wizard casts disintegrate and the guy fails his fortitude save and he just gets one shot. You know how how anticlimactic is that? That sucks. That sucks to be a part of, right? And I would I would take a million violations of the rules in order to make that encounter, you know, tense and interesting and fun and have and have kind of like dramatic weights uh, than, you know, then kind of take this like. See, I'm I'm going to take the, the opposite stance, which
0: is essentially if we get to like the final boss and like, you know, somebody lands the super duper gun crit on the boss and that that's definitely going to take him out because you know that's the way it goes but then the gm waves his hand and says ah but he deflects it um just because like i can't think of another example on the Well, way. okay okay well let me let, I, so, so just just let, let me let me finish my my, sure, my analogy is that like you know that's i mean even if it's the the, the not the final boss right it's like well, why am I playing this game? I'm always going to almost, I'm always going to dramatically win the fight. So why am I not just listening to Buddy tell me a story? What? Why am I actually trying to actively participate in it?
1: Because sometimes it doesn't happen that right, right? Like it, it's, it. There's no. I understand what you're getting at, and I think it's like kind of a trust thing, almost, right? Like if this one rule gets broken, how can I ever trust my GM not to break all these other rules all the time, right? Um, and uh, I, you know, I think that's a part of it. But I also think a part of it is um, it's a Im- well. Like, so, for so, instance, so,
0: so, so, just just to counter to, to talk to that point immediately, right? Like, it's a it's a trust thing. And I, if if the GM's following the rules, then I don't need to trust the GM, right? Like, right, right. But
1: if the GM breaks one rule in order to, and you kind of see through it a little bit or whatever, you know how. how how does it come down let me let me here's here's another piece of this because i think another piece of another piece of this that we have definitely touched on that is definitely important especially as you know you you go from theatery side to crunchy side right is um how good you are at manipulating shit behind the scenes right i actually think mark is pretty good at this um i'm sure he would refute me but whatever i'm pretty sure he does this a lot I think uh, part of it is you just have to have a really good mastery of the system in order for... Like, when that gun crit misses, right? And they're like, oh, what the fuck? And you go, he has deflect arrows, right? Technically speaking that, you know, that's within the rules. But if he didn't design the encounter with that guy having deflect arrows and he just gave it deflect arrows in order to create this moment of tension, that's the same kind of stuff I'm talking about, right? And I think being able to mask that appropriately is a big skill that that goes a long way in terms of this stuff, right? In fact, if I would say anything was the major, like, I think if anything was the major kind of flub for myself when I deflected your lightning bolt, it wasn't giving him you know evasion and rolling a reflex save right that would have made everything fine and that and it didn't happen right whether or not he had evasion doesn't matter whether or not he succeeded his reflex save doesn't matter i would have have made him succeed a reflex save and he would have had the evasion kind of post like you know applied in post-production but it would have been uh, it would have been sufficient to mask, and it would have achieved the kind of narrative effect that we're talking about. How do you feel about it in that kind of system? If there, if there's no, you know, like, if a rule is broken and no one is around to rules lawyer it, does does it make you want to color in coloring books? <laughs> um. So,
0: on, uh, so, um, you know, obviously, it, it's hard to, to to talk to the player side if the player can't tell. But me from the GM side, like part of what this game, like, what I GM, part of what it is to me is, is seeing the players, like, flex their, like, flex their collective muscles, whether it be in tactics, or in character design, or in whatever, to defeat the encounter. And if, like, if on my side, I'm changing things up, right, like, that makes, you know, the game less enjoyable for me, uh, as, as a GM, right, like, if I'm just cheating to make, things if, if I'm just cheating to make things be you know you know approximately takes out three quarters of the party's daily uses of abilities that way the boss fight is just is uh is is more challenging that 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 bothers me at, at a very fundamental level um although i hmm, like I, I I do agree with you I think mark's very good at at kind of knowing when to when, when when to like when to shift those 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 posts right, um and part of this is too is that like I think of of all of us I run the closest to source material when I'm running an established campaign, um and so I feel kind of like I I don't want to mess with a lot of the uh, a lot of the encounters in ways that aren't just like giving extra health and more armor class, um you know or like like just fiddling with numbers. Um, but I think there's also kind of, uh, a a piece to this, which is, which I think you're right, which is that, like, if, if, you know, if the the encounter isn't set and like you go into it, right, you know, like there's kind of like Schrodinger's feats essentially, which are, he may or may not have deflect arrows, depends on if he gets crit really hard on, on the first round, but if, if that's the case... That means that some other aspect of his, like you know, some feat he does have, is definitely disappearing off the list. And um, similarly, if, um, if uh, if the players have somehow like investigated this ahead of time, right? Like they, they, you know, they did their like they did their scouting. They figured out what this boss is all about. Um, then you know, I I can't change that. I can't give him a. Uh, I can't give him a feat that he he kind of and also if it doesn't fit right like if the giant cyclo if the giant cyclops suddenly is like well now we has a leveling monk and he swats the bullet away right like that's, sure. that's I mean not yeah I, cut I, it we're, for we're,
1: me. we're 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 splitting the hairs sure? of this kind of right but the the mask is certainly important is what I'm hearing um, the one kind of final question I have let's say just kind of philosophically this interests me let's say we're heading into an encounter in hell's rebels right gonna hit the hit the boss of this npc now you have gone and picked up hell's rebels volume whatever and you know the step luck of this boss right and we get into the fight and something along these lines happens right Nobody else in the party knows, right, nobody else in the party knows that this guy never had deflect, aer- the deflect arrows or whatever, I gave him deflect arrows specifically to, you know, do what I'm talking about, increase the tension, you know, create drama, all of that kind of stuff, um, how, how, does that make you, how does that make you feel personally? would you tell other people for instance i wonder would you let everyone know that i'm that i'm secretly cheating behind the scenes um right? so like, <laughs> so so
0: the thing there is that like um you know seeing it in hells Rebels one isn't enough for me to to like you know cuz i do like you know i do tinker with my with my with my encounters as well i'm not as much as you do obviously i'm um, like i said i usually restrict myself to just kind of numbers adjustments but like going into a fight and a boss not having a, having a feat that he doesn't have on the sheet. You know, I kind of, you know, in this kind of trusting trust that that's part of the encounter that was designed. And so I'm not going to be mad that you accounted for that, right? Like, you know, if one of the players shtick is, is all he does is go invisible and is an annoying ass, then when enemies start showing up with the sea invisibility i'm not going to be mad so long as it's not you know overbearing right like or if there's like you know a, a a plausible reason for it right like like this is this is um kind of obvious in uh in mark's um Rune lords game where it's like you know well in the tournament everybody knows what you how you guys kind of fight so they're starting to take steps to directly counter you And I think in a lot of these games, you can kind of make that same kind of like, well, you're heroes and they heard about the heroes that were coming and they heard the heroes use invisibility. So they made sure to account for that type of deal, or, you know, the heroes use guns. So they have necklaces of bullet protection, um, type of deal. Um, and so I don't think that like that, your specific example wouldn't bother me at all. Um, but if like let's say like for for a, a analogous situation if you said here's here's the stat block, study the stat block because we're gonna be you're gonna be fighting this monster and you found like the item of generating stat blocks and it tells you exactly what the stat block is um and then the then you fought it then you you had us fight it, and it wasn't that stat block, I would be aggravated um it's kind of a hard. I see where you're getting it, at. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a hard I find, to I, situation. Honestly, the
1: the core thing here that really just kind of uh, that, that I find most interesting is this idea that any violation of the rules is too much of a violation of the rules, right? Like that, I find you know, because it's definitely one of those things where, like, where I I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like well, I you know, it's not like. Like I don't want you to not trust me when it comes to Hell's Rebels, right? Like because sure. of this conversation. I'm not gonna be fucking with everyone. Oh fight no, I'm, right? I'm sure you're this not. is like a once in every couple of sessions just to make a boss counter, you know, like really make it pop or whatever, right? That kind of thing. I think that's I think that's 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 important. Sure. Um But I, fi- I really find it I really find it interesting that it's just kind of like uh you know
0: I I think there's some nuance there too. I, I wanted to bring this up a little bit earlier, but there wasn't really a good moment for it, right? Like I think part of this is that, again, that mechanics is such a forward thing in Pathfinder, right? Like, um, you know, if, you know, you've got a, say, uh an, an engine... Like, you know, if you've got somebody, you go up to the tower, and it's like, that tower, I've got knowledge engineering, can I, like, figure out a way to, to knock it over or something? You know, that happens once, right? Like, you know, going to rule of cool for that to me is appropriate if that character decides that his thing is everything every time he sees a tower he knocks it over with an engineering check or you know something similar that's when you kind of start to adhere to the rules the or like you, you you go more strictly to the rules because that's like that, that's how that character operates and in order for that character to be fair and not be essentially abusing the rule of cool because it's not cool anymore. It's become mundane. It's
1: um, actually kind of a segue into another topic.
0: Um, if as, as much as because that's the case, um, you have to let that, like you, you kind of have to look at those, those things, right? Like when I was playing log back in Mark's first, at, uh, rune Lords campaign, I was playing a sundering character, right? Like that's what I did. Um, and so, you know, Whereas, once in a while, if, like, there's, there's this, this, we've had this fight in our Runeliers game, um, and something kind of similar happened, but there's this fight in a sawmill, and there's a point where you're fighting on the top floor above some saws, and, you know, I could see in a very typical game, somebody, like, attempting a, a, a bull rush, or like, um, or like, you know, using their hammer to try and crack the floor, and then, the, the GM being like you know what that's cool that's that's innovative I will hand wave you a circumstantial bonus type of deal right. on your on your role but sure. when I'm playing log right I fully expect every single one of those sunder checks to be by the book because he's been doing sunder checks all game and all campaign <laughs> like I don't expect any leniency there because because it's become mundane essentially um, and my argument here is that um, not all aspects of combat, but, like, a lot of combat is so mundane that breaking those rules kind of, you know, like, the like, uh, uh, it's, this is kind of formulating now, but, like, you know, the counterpart to the rule of cool is the rule of mundane, right? Rule of cool means things that are cool have a higher chance of succeeding, whereas, to me, rule of mundane is mundane things are by the book. Um, and combat falls a lot into the mundane for me.
1: Interesting. That's kind of an interesting... Wow. So uh, another kind of piece of this that I wanted to dig into a little bit was the idea of – because I think – so I think we're kind of describing two separate game systems almost. And uh, they kind of complement themselves with a certain perspective on how player agency kind of works. I think it sounds to me like your games are built primarily almost for like kind of player expression, right? Like yes. where players – you know, players get to th- – this is a vehicle for players to express themselves using this incredibly complicated system, right? Whereas my games are a little bit more focused towards, you know, narrative, characters, plot, theme, settings, writing writing degree stuff, right? Um, Sure. Another aspect of that is uh, how you and I look at the way people choose classes a little bit differently. Because we once had a conversation where I said something along the lines of, you shouldn't play an oracle. Or, yeah, you know, it might not have been oracle, but it, it, it was probably something uh, similar to that. Like, you know, you shouldn't play this it, class. It was, unless I think you're it was willing...
0: War Priest and, like, Paladin, maybe, or War Priest. And oh Inquisitor. yeah,
1: Right, okay, yeah, that, that definitely was. You know, like, you shouldn't play a paladin over a war priest unless you're willing to adhere to a paladin's edict right like that you know, like I understand that that's just RP, right? There's there's really no mechanic there. Uh, I mean, there is one technically, I mean, but like nobody the, ever. The,
0: Paladin's special, so we. Might, I might specifically not agree with this point, but something like a war priest versus a cleric, I think is 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 a anyway. Finish finish. Sure, point sure, sure. Like sure same thing, right? Like themselves.
1: if you tell me I want to play, you know, like I want to play a a a priest of whatever, right? And uh, and I I just like war priest mechanics better, but I really just kind of want to be like a normal priest or whatever. You would let that person play a war priest, even though technically, you know, by the flavor, right? Like by by the lore, they're not right. By the lore, they would be a cleric, right? Or you know, maybe an oracle, or maybe you one, one of these other kind of myriad yeah, and, and other, to, other, to, other to, classes.
0: To to push that to the extreme. Which is, I, I think, the third example I gave, which is kind of like, you know, you can be a lay priest at Viomede and just be a fighter by class levels type of deal. Right. But, which is right. The, kind of the extreme end of that spectrum.
1: That, yeah, that to me is a very strange concept. I really think that these, you know, like, I think that the flavoring classes is really important. And I think that, you know, holding, you know, like, holding players to that. Is a big fucking deal, right? If you, if you want to say that you're a chosen one of Iomide right, and that Iomide has specifically blessed you with these powers, you must play an oracle. There is no way that you can play a cleric with that because that's just not the lore of a cleric, right? Um, and I and you know I I I, I don't know. See, I, think I, that's I don't really important. I don't I don't have those sh- like I would
0: disagree with you that that's like the lore of a cleric, right? Like I I don't or the lore of an oracle right like um especially given some of the examples but I, I don't think that that's necessarily true i think you know in some specific cases there are these kind of things like i think cavaliers and um and paladins are pretty heavily tied to their lore implications but i think for the on on the whole for most classes that's not true right like whether a crazy wooden being has like whether you believe a crazy wooden being has given you wooden powers um as an as an oracle or uh you know, or as like a phytokineticist, right? I don't think that st- that distinction is particularly important. I don't I don't think that like <laughs> kind of like I I I don't think that I don't think that every Oracle has to be the Oracle that they give in the example like,
1: you know, that they give in the iconic section of their class book. Sure, that's not what I'm saying either, right? But, like, it's pre- You know, maybe a, a better way to think about this would be wizard and sorcerer, right? If I'm playing a wizard, that means that I studied, right? Sure. Fundamentally. I can't be a wizard and just pop out of, you know, like, pop out of the womb casting spells. I can be a sorcerer and do that. That's what sorcerers do, Right. Um, but even if a player told me that I want, you know, I want to play a sorcerer, but I want it to be the mechanics of a wizard, I would just never let that go. They would have to play the sorcerer. If they wanted, if they wanted that flavor, they would have to choose that class. That's a tough, you know, that's kind of like a tough shit. Yeah, but
0: but I think that there's a flexibility, like, I think there's a flexibility there. Like, you know, this this is going to come down to, to individual situation in a lot of cases, right? Like, if a player came to me and said, you know, I wanted, I want to be a wizard, but I want to be a prodigy that mastered basic magic by the age of 15, right, like I don't really have a problem with that right, like if if if, if that's the kind of thing you're going for, like yes I think you have to have that aspect of studying rather than of, of innate talent, Um, and I, I think this actually comes to a head a lot around kind of the divine classes because the divi- I think at least thematically um, outside of Paladin, the divine classes are a little bit more kind of loose, right, like, the difference between a war priest of Iomedae, a cleric of Iomedae, and a fighter that worships Iomide, Um, in terms of fluff, they can be near identical, right, like, you know, there are some instances where, you know, the, you know, they're going to have less of a direct commune with, with, with the god, right, but, like, the idea of like of a lay a lay priest is is not something that is so out there that I would deny a player that right
1: but I think that there's a huge difference between a cleric and a lay priest right one of them specifically gets power from their god right like that's that's an unequivocal fact you can be a lay priest right but you still can't cast heal no sure. matter you know like you can worship siren all you want you're never gonna get there um and I think that the, when you take when you take a look at it from that perspective, you kind of have to backtrack it to a certain amount. Where, you know, how 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 does that person kind of like end up in, what however, however they end up? How does them being a lay priest kind of like influence that stuff? Uh, see, I I think that like, I I, I think the kind of th- the thing
0: I'm I'm driving at is that like, you know, there's nothing in the rule book that says that all of the, all of the people that Serenre loves get magical powers right like it would not bother me if the if like the head priest of a church was a fighter that you know just never received any kind of magical blessing yeah, like, no, that's, his that's, blessing yeah. from his god was his martial prowess if you want to flavor it that way not you know like you know his his god blessed him with you know like you know God has blessed me with these talents, and I shall use them in her in in her service
1: and I definitely think that to you know like I think it makes more sense for a barbarian to be the high priest of Gorham to get greyhawk uh in in here uh than it does for a cleric to, to a certain extent right like you i like somebody could make that argument to me and it would make a lot of sense um but like you know the 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 I I think I, I think that there's a sacred contract between the mechanics and and the flavor like the mechanics and the fluff and it's something that really does have to be you know it it has to be respected in the in you know in certain cases like with the paladin right but I think it has to be respected in other cases you can't play uh you can't play a sorcerer who was born without magic um I I, I
0: think that that's I think that I can find a raw example for you of that's not not being true. Like I think, really, is that a raw example of that? I, I think one of the flavoring, like it's not something that's going to be much. Oh, different. like a, like
1: an archetype or
0: something for it, or not even an archetype, but like the story, like you know, like somebody with the ectoplasmic bloodline was dropped in a vat of ectoplasm or something and developed magical powers. Like like not not something that's super different from what you're saying, but like you know, I, I think you're right that like you there has to be some sort of like innate innateness to it, right? Right.
1: So, no one... Nobody could play... Nobody could play the two parallel... This is... Like, two parallel characters, right? Two characters who are exactly the same fluff-wise, but also be the exact... Be different classes.
0: I think... So, I think that's untrue. I think that would be true for something... I think that would be true for something like Wizard and Sorcerer, I agree with you, that you can't play the same character exactly fluff-wise... Over those two characters although again i might be able to find like an alternate bloodline somewhere that's like supposed to be sorcerers that study and you know i might be able to make an argument for that but like i think in the general case you're right you can't do that with with wizard and sorcerer but But if it was ranger and fighter right if it was if it was ranger and fighter or this this is probably the 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 strong the one you're going to object more strongly to war priest and paladin um which is essentially like you can be a lawful good war priest and be the exact same fluff as a paladin, um, because they're, they're they're essentially they're, they're very sim- like similar to each other. I think in that lore space.
1: So I think I think this kind of comes down to uh, is there a fl- you know like is there a fluff difference between you know between these classes? To me, to me, I look at I look at that and I say that those people are playing their characters wrong right you can't have a character that's entirely run that's run entirely independent of your class like that you being a paladin or you being a war priest is going to change you in so, you know like it's it's you're you're going to focus on things and think about things in a different way but, and but, if you're but not why? doing so, that you, that's so, bad so maybe
0: so maybe if we were talking about like a paladin and like a, a druid I might, I might get behind that. But what is so fundamentally different about a paladin and a war priest that, that their life experiences are going to make them different? Like, they're both uh, warriors in service of their deity that gain magical powers based on that worship. And they might take different forms at some point, but the form of that power is almost entirely irrelevant to the fluff of the character.
1: All yeah, but the the almost that you just used there is exactly what I'm getting on, right? Like the 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 mechanics of a smite are much different than the mechanics of a you know whatever sacred weapon. I don't really know this stuff all that well. Spoiler alert for for listeners who don't necessarily know this: I do not like paladin fluff for this very same reason. And so in all of my games, paladins are oriented much more towards uh you know divine based alignment warriors who kind of get their power from their alignment rather than from a specific deity but that notwithstanding right um that almost makes a big difference to me right if if the war priest is playing exactly like the pal you know like if the war priest is is i guess fluffing (laughs) exactly as a paladin it means that he's also he's fluffing smite which doesn't make any sense if if i hit an enemy with
0: my empowered hammer and i hit him real good i have smote him i may not have smite him the mechanic but i have smote him as per the dictionary i have smote him in the name of my god and by god he will suffer
1: Right, right, but like, there's a difference between me hitting me getting a critical hit with my sacred weapon, right? You know, that that might put out the same amount of damage as me, you know, smiting this guy and hitting him, but it doesn't behave the same way smite does and that behavior is a big that that's that's important to me. I don't think that so important from a flavor to, from a This might get
0: back to some of our earlier stuff, but I don't think that that like I don't think the specifics of that behavior in, like, a round of combat are particularly important to, like... I don't think the fact that I used the smite mechanic and did 32 points of of holy damage is particularly important to the story.
1: I think I hit the guy real good with my hammer is the important part. Sure, but it's the the well actually not sure i don't agree with this <laughs> the it's kind of like a, the the mechanics have a message right like the mechanics imply certain things when i smite the bad guy and i just sit there and wail on him i am acting as my opt you know like i that is optimum paladin right and that's how paladin and and hypothetically speaking optimum paladin mechanically should kind of like bleed into optimum paladin flavorfully right where that's the way a paladin orients their their thought process whereas it might not be efficient for a war priest to do that right that just might not be like a that in the exact same situation a war priest might not need to do that because the mechanics of the fight ask him to do something different and if the and if the war priest ignores that they're they're tantamount to ignoring kind of this flavor bonus like not bonus this this flavor core to their class. And that to me is this that's that's the 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 sin being committed, right? This is the this is the crime. And this is why I think that this stuff is
0: important. I don't I don't think that there's nearly as tight of a flavor tie as you think there is to each class. Like I think if the priest, if the war priest has built for smiting his enemies in the colloquial sense that he that that he is just as much a man who smites his enemies as a paladin is and if he goes if you know for one round of combat he goes and heals his friend instead of instead of laying the smack down on this enemy i don't think that fundamentally changes the character in such a way that he is completely you know that he is so completely different from a paladin that they can't be effectively the same character
1: well, I, I think the term effectively is really what it comes down to, right? Because like we have we agree that in the an extreme scenario, right, there is no way that a wizard can have the exact same fluff as a I don't know brawler. Right? Like that sure. you, you just you that that can't happen, right? But the thing is, as far as I'm concerned, you can get as close as you want, but there's always gotta be a difference there. You know what I mean, like that. There, there's no point in my mind where effectively, quote unquote, like, becomes strong enough to to stop this, you know, this thing, this phenomenon from happening in my head, where I think it's a, it's like a poor, you know, it's a, it's 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 a poor character concept. I, I, I think point. you're
0: too too married to your made up roles about fluff. Like I don't, I, I just don't see these kind of implications there that you see. Like, like again, I'll say like maybe I see them for for the the paladin, but I really don't see them there for most of the classes. Like, fighter versus brawler, ranger versus ranged fighter. Um,
1: I mean, hypothetically speaking, we agree on the vast majority of this, right? The vast majority of these comparisons happen between you know magus and druid, right? And sure, so. 90% of these comparisons are in a no-go zone and it's just whether or not the line is at, you know, 10% or it's at 1%. I mean, I, I really what this comes down to to kind of like back it up to a uh, you know, a cerebral top-down level is I do think that you should choose your class for more than just lore reasons, right? You need to you need to consider the flavor and the fluff of your class when you're going into it. And I think that that you know, that's 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 an important piece of of the puzzle that um you know, I I, I, I just don't think
0: it's a, a, it. I just don't think it's as strong as 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 you want want it to be. Like I I don't think that being an avatar of the spirit of the forest is any less a druid than a wood oracle.
1: Uh, you, you, if you are the exact same one, that would bug me. If you you, you can have that general character concept, and that's fine. Sure. Right. The, you know, like, it doesn't, bug, it doesn't bug me that the Wooden Wanderer isn't a druid, for instance, because he sure. is flavored very oracle, as far as I'm concerned. Um, this is also, like, ridi- you know, now that I think about this, this is so, like, in the realm of, like, possibility. I don't think I've ever seen a, a character that would fall along these lines and would bug me because they did. You know what I mean? I don't think I've ever seen anybody play a character that I'm just like, man, that really should have been a fucking sorcerer.
0: Yeah, I I I think I I see what you're saying, and I I think that that's kind of like maybe where we've kind of missed each other, is that like, you know, I don't like you know if 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 I were gonna play an avatar of the forest and I went with it Wood Oracle or I went with Druid with it, I, they're they're gonna manifest in different ways just kind of by nature of their mechanics, but yeah. to, but to me those are the those are the same character to me in some ways, right? Like one might have a bear and one might. Uh, and one might summon trance occasionally, <laughs> but like, they're they're they're. The, I I think my effectively is a lot looser than yours, which which is which which is the big difference here. At least effective fluff light, right? Like, you could to me if I throw these two characters in the same situation and they respond in, in a in in like as what is. When I say situation, I mean like a, a story situation. They respond in the same way. They're the same type of character to me. Whether or not, f- like, Fozzie is sitting there or, or, or you know, the Rockfather is smiling down from above is not so important. Uh, I, it, it's not so important in a lot of situations to me.
1: Right, but it, it, a lot of situation implies... Those few situations where it is important. Okay, so so, so <laughs> and I think you're, and you're I think we're in agreement that right?
0: Like whether or not Fozzie is sitting there is, is not important because they can both be following the Rot Father. One is just through this kind of like druid path, the other is through this wood oracle path.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel that to a certain extent. I also think that for I think it's important from the top down to make sure that, you know if somebody said to me, I really want to play a wizard but i hate wizard mechanics so i'm going to play a wizard as with sorcerer mechanics i would never allow that to happen that would bug the fuck out of me even if it was something super close right like if somebody says i know that th- i know that this matches brawler more than it does fighter but i'm going to play it as a fighter that that bugs me I wouldn't let that happen. I would say you either have to change your fighter, uh, however small or large that change would have to be, to make it align, right? Though I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have to be all that big. Or you suck it up and you play the fucking brawler, right? Like, See, I, I
0: think with the martial classes, this also burns a lot heavier, right? Like, I don't see a situation where I couldn't play a fighter that had those kind Like, I think that like, because fighter's been around for forever and is the most boring class... Or the most flexible class, rather to, to put it more charitably, on the face of the planet, um, I think because because like of that, like I'm pretty sure there's an archetype for brawling, whether or not it, like you know in that kind of flavor, right? Like I get, yeah,
1: no, there definitely there definitely is one. And There's also like you know there's that feat that gives you like kind of like baby's first martial flex, sure. Um, that's sure, but I like know, they, I, like I, you you could create a rough
0: approximation. So so do your kind of point about about this wizard who's like i hate the wizard mechanics i want to be a sorcerer if he said to me oh i'm going to be an arcanist i'd say that's that's like like, arcanist i wouldn't blink an eye or you know i wouldn't bat an eye or if he said um i forgot the name of the one of the alternate bloodlines maybe imperial um no imperial i think let's use wisdom instead of their uh sage sage is the bloodline i think for um that that lets you kind of use int and be like, kind of more of like a wizardy sorcerer. If he says I'm gonna, I'm going to be a wizard by being uh, a, a sage, uh, by being a sage sorcerer, I'd say that's probably okay, right? Like where I'm, I'm going to be yeah, a man I who studies magic, fine. right? Like, and I used to sage sage sorcerer, and you know, mechanically, it's like from some like kind of upwelling within with, within him, rather than by the efforts of his studying ultimately to the character that doesn't make a difference right like
1: well and i i also think to a certain extent right to your you know wizard arcanist thing i think that there are pl- like if if you were to ask me to to like map this out on like maybe like a pie graph right there or like a venn diagram actually is what i mean to say uh there's there's a heaping helping of character concepts that are covered In that Venn diagram, both by, you know, like Arcanist and by Wizard, right? Like, if somebody, you know, if somebody wants to tell me a guy who likes fucking magic, sure, that could be, that could be, that's fine. Um, But the more specific you go, right, like, as we, yeah, yeah. (laughs) As uh, as we go more and more specific, right, and we drill down deeper and deeper into the character, though, um that overlap will for me that overlap will eventually disappear and we will land you know kind of either in arcanist territory or wizard territory and i think that that you know like the fact that it's, you land in one of those two specifically is kind of uh okay it's kind of important i think i, I kind if that, of think
0: i see what you're getting at and and to me well, at least in my experience what usually ends up happening is before i even get anywhere close to drilling down far enough in a fluff in a fluff analysis to get to, to drop into one of those two things, I'll be like, "Well, these are your options, and a player will will choose themselves the uh the, the class and yeah. and kind of adjust the fluff minorly
1: as necessary." Which yeah, is I which definitely. is I think kind of the. I mean, I think what we've just hit on is that this this problem that we're talking about is entirely made up no way would this ever happen in real life right it's just a principles
0: thing i, I think i think so the, the reason this came up in the first place um and i think part of where this problem is is quote unquote real is, is is in a shared world space right where like two people are running something in the same world and one person says you know well in my game this this character is is a paladin and and in my game, this same character, who is you know you know the head of the same church or whatever, is a war priest. I think that's where this kind of like
1: oh yeah. disagreement comes. you like, this is That's right. exactly that is where actually, it came to a head. That is exactly where it came from. Oh, yeah. uh, just some backstory for our listeners mango myself uh mark and our friend nick have been kind of on the sly working on an alternate campaign setting that is so contentious that none of us agree on the pronunciation of the term uh for this campaign setting but uh you know we we definitely had this kind of conversation and i think uh yeah that bugs me that really bugs me holy shit does that bug me if you're a war priest you're a fucking war priest i don't care if you're a mango's game or you're a nick's game you're not allowed to just like swap to paladin that just doesn't that doesn't happen yeah see that,
0: that that wouldn't bother me at all but that you know that's 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 i think a difference of kind of like of implication um which is i don't know i i think what we've kind of hit on is is like there's there's a level that you and i kind of consider uh acceptable deviation um like you know for me right like the difference between you telling the story and me telling the story is going to be so much greater than the difference between a war priest and a paladin that I don't give a shit. Um, whereas, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's fair. Where, where, I understand uh, that, that, that mindset.
0: Um, whereas I, I've, I guess that you feel that like there's so much more informed by the class that that's a more important deal. And I, I think that's just something we're going to have to rest on as a difference of opinion.
1: I also think it's one of those things where in this hypothetical scenario, uh, m- m- ironically, Making a hard line here, kind of like a hard line in the sand, is important to allowing freedom for that character, right? Like the character wouldn't have to rebuild uh, their entire class from the ground up. You know, like their entire thing from the ground up because Mark hates paladins and doesn't allow paladins in his game, right? So, you know, if somebody wants to guest star on Mark's game, he doesn't have to rebuild himself entirely as a war priest, um, He can just bring in his paladin and we can all have a, you know, a jolly good time. Yeah. So I'm kind of sad that Mark
0: isn't here because Mark, I think, is all the way at the other end, which is that you don't need paladin, war priest, cleric, or fighter. They can all be an inquisitor.
1: Um, which, which bothers <laughs> the fuck out of me. So, we, we, Well, uh, really, that's kind of interesting. I actually, I, I fall a little bit, but that's mostly because I see a pretty substantial fluff difference between those classes with the caveat that paladins are alignment warriors. I think they bleed too much into Warpriests otherwise. So,
0: so so that bothers me not, not for as much fluff reasons as, like, well, it. if it doesn't matter, why not let the players play with other mechanics? But I think that's a discussion for another time. We'll
1: probably make a whole episode out of that. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Because we're super good at planning out our episodes yeah. in advance. <laughs> uh,
0: always and forever. But yeah, um, I think that's about all we've got time for. Uh, so it's time to wrap things up. This has been Some Derps Talk About Games. If you'd like to watch us play any of these games, you can catch us out on Twitch. Catch us out. Catch us on twitch.tv slash some derps play games. Um, If you would like to email us and tell us why we're wrong, you can email us at uh, some derps talk about, or some no, some derps play games at gmail.com. That's some derps play games at gmail.com. I'll put a link in the description to both of those places. Um, Rune Lords isn't happening this week. Iron Gods should happen tomorrow, which will probably happen before I edit and put up this episode. Um, So look forward to the next week, which will probably hopefully have both games of Iron Gods and Rune Lords. And then whenever Iron God ends, we'll be starting up uh,
1: uh, Hell's Rebels. Um, yeah, Hell's Rebels will probably be, uh, you know, past that New Year's Eve line. Uh, we may or may not do an introductory kind of one-shot, so we'll probably make an announcement when that kind of thing happens. But, you know, it's December, holidays are happening, people are fucking hectic and shit, so uh, we are we are a little bit up in the air.
0: Yeah, and since I will be home for the holidays, you guys might get to get a sneak peek into I might run my the games that I run in person uh, for a couple sessions on Roll Twenty, which oh I will broadcast boy. if any of you want to see oh those boy. shit shows <laughs> um, featuring Thomas Shanks, the worst character ever created. Um, Is he really the worst character ever? Um, that, that you've ever DM'd. He's definitely the worst character that I have ever DM'd. I think Is he he's the worst character you've ever played with in a group. I think so. Um, wow. Jeez. it's it's hmm, is, is, is it's kind of like all of the annoyingness of like a gish mage like like Lawrence used to play with none of the cleverness of mechanics and all of the obnoxiousness of the
1: player um s- wow those are some uh harsh words harsh words of of um, to be fair, Criticism. <laughs> the, the, player's,
0: the player's other character, Lord Baxwell Silver, Duke of Twilight, First Lieutenant of Abadar's Enforcers, is much better and much less annoying. Um, I'm
1: sure that one day we will have, uh, we will. Have the, we're speaking, of course, of our friend Zhao. We will have Zhao on the cast, and he can defend his his choices on Thomas Shanks. Oh who no, has I'm the never most, most annoying name ever. I, I hate am, his name so. much. I am never
0: letting much. It. So, so just, just, just to let you viewers in on his defense of this character. His defense of this character was not like anything sensible. It's that the goal for a character should be to be as disruptive as possible in almost those exact words. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hit you. (laughs) Um, I just got um, it. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Thomas Shanks almost died in our last session. And, uh, I wasn't sad. I was kind of rooting for it, but then the party healer had to go and heal him. Um,
1: God damn! What were the fuck were they thinking? Uh, yeah. anyway, until, next, drama time, <laughs> <dear listeners. laughs> until next time, dear listeners. Uh, this is, I won't call you viewers this time. Yeah, this this has been some
0: derps talk about games.